Hello again, if you're just now joining us, my name is Scott Gilliland. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Lover's Lane, and it's my joy to be with you today online as your preacher. Our senior pastor, Stan Copeland, is enjoying a much-deserved Sunday off, and we continue this morning in our sermon series called Soul Reset, which is based upon a book by the same title uh, by Reverend Dr. Junius Dotson, who is our general secretary of UMC Discipleship Ministries for our whole global denomination. And we had planned this series months and months ago after hearing Dr. Dotson speak and and then reading his book and knowing it would be incredible content for the Lenten season for us to walk through together because it's all about um, when our lives break down, when we hit a wall, when we feel burned out, maybe not even just with our lives, but also with our faith, with our religion. What do we do? What do we turn to? What are those essentials of the Christian faith, of our walk with Jesus, that we can come back to and find life in again? We had no idea how important these messages would be now that we're living in this completely disorienting, completely challenging season of quarantine and social distancing and isolation. And so today, the the set topic that we had in mind and we could not have prepared for how relevant it would be is the topic of grief. And I want to start by asking you a simple question. What are you grieving these last two weeks? Because I know that we've all been grieving in different ways. Because grief is more than just one thing. It, it's not just when we lose somebody who's, close to, who's dear to us in death. We can grieve anything that is any kind of undesired change. We can grieve the loss of a relationship, grieve the loss of a job, grieve the loss of a a chapter in our lives, or maybe just grieve the loss of a sense of normalcy. Has that been you these last two weeks? And so today, let's talk about grief, because I think sometimes we make the mistake of believing that as Christians, by having faith in Jesus, we are somehow miraculously saved from having to live a life that includes grief. We're saved from grieving, and that's simply not true. In fact, I believe the opposite is true. I think it's our faith, our walk with Jesus that allows us to actually engage our grief in a really healing and holy way. So let's talk about our faith and our grief this Sunday. The big question I want us to wrestle with is this. How can our faith help us understand our grief? I would add, how can our faith help us engage our grief? Let's talk about that today. To help us on our way, we'll be looking at our sermon text, which comes to us from the Gospel of John, beginning in chapter 16 in the 16th verse. If you have a Bible with you or a Bible on your phone, as long as it doesn't make you leave the live stream, go ahead and open up to that chapter, John 16, verse 16, and we'll be reading portions of that 16th chapter together today. As you're turning there, I want to say hey to those who are joining us online, Linda and Jackie, Gary and Kathy, glad you're with us in worship, Randall, Polly, Brian, so glad you could be with us today. Wherever you are, we're so glad that you could join us online for worship today. Now, as you're able, wherever you are, in your home, in your apartment, on your break at work, let's rise in body or in spirit out of respect for God's word as we hear God's words in the Gospel of John. It says this, and you'll see the words appear on your screen as well. Soon you won't be able to see me. This is Jesus talking to the disciples. 
Soon you won't be able to see me. Soon after that you will see me. Some of Jesus' disciples said to each other, What does he mean? Soon you won't see me, and soon after that you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father, what, what does he mean by soon? We don't understand what he's talking about. Let's stop there for now. Now, I've read this passage dozens of times in my life, but as I, as I studied it this past week, I, I heard something new that I hadn't heard before. This is a chapter of John's gospel where Jesus is trying to educate the disciples. He's trying to reveal to them a greater understanding of his relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And of course, the disciples are limited in their understanding. They don't really grasp what he's getting at. But when I read this passage this past week, I didn't just hear confusion. I heard in the disciples' voices fear and anxiety. What does he mean? Soon you won't see me, and soon after that you will see me. What does he mean by soon? Maybe I heard fear and anxiety in their voices because I've heard in my own voice these last two weeks more fear and anxiety. Where does that come from for them? I think it's because they know that this, this man whom they have such an important relationship with, he's a savior and a teacher and a brother and a friend, he's telling them that they're gonna be apart, they're gonna be separated, they're gonna be unable to be in contact for a period of time. And, and that's bringing them fear and anxiety and I know what that feels like because I've felt that too. As I thought about their reaction to his words, I thought about Genesis chapter two. In the very first book of the Bible, in the second chapter, we see God making the first human being. And of course, God's already provided the essential needs of water and of vegetation, some food for this person to eat. But, but as he's forming them, as God's forming them, God holds this person in God's hands and says something profound. Because God sees a need at the core of who we are as human beings, God sees a need that is just as important as food and water. God says this, it is not good that they should be alone. It's not good that they should be alone. And immediately God makes for this person a partner that they could be in relationship with, that they could be in community with because God knew something about us from the very beginning that maybe we're just now beginning to unearth in ourselves and it's leading to fear and anxiety and it's this. Here's what I want us to know this morning. God made us to thirst and hunger for relationship. We are relational beings at our core and friends, we are grieving right now because we are starving. We are grieving because we are starving for relationship. Now, I believe that social distancing and quarantining and staying at home provisions, I think these are important measures. These are faithful measures that we are taking. And I'm so thankful to see the response of our communities as we attempt to save lives by flattening the curve. And my prayer is that these measures could save thousands upon thousands of lives. And that's a gift simply by staying at home. It's a gift that we're offering to our neighbors. It's a faithful thing. Thing to do, but we have to acknowledge that this gift comes at a cost, and that cost is, is a piece of our souls because we are hardwired from the beginning of our days to be relational, to desire not just connection through live streaming. As great as this is, as thankful as I am for technology, for Zoom calls and FaceTime and phone calls and text messages and emails, none of that can ever replace 
a hug, a handshake, an embrace of another human being, looking somebody else in the eyes, in their actual eyes, and asking them, how are you, really? We all need to articulate and acknowledge that this season is hard, yes, because it brings stress and anxiety around health and around society, but it is also hard because personally, we are being asked and we are faithfully going without something that we deeply and desperately desire on the basis of who we are as God's children. We need relationship and we're going without that. And we have to be able to articulate that so that we can acknowledge our grief and so that we can step forward in greater faith and greater health in these coming days, weeks, and months. So let's keep going. Jesus has more to say to his disciples. He says this beginning in verse 19. Jesus knew they wanted to ask him, and so he said, Are, are you trying to find out from each, other what, from each other what I meant when I said, Soon you won't see me, and soon after that you will see me? I assure you, says Jesus, that you will cry and lament, and the world will be happy. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Several months ago, my grandmother passed away, Anne Owens Gilliland. And as the resident pastor in my family, it was my responsibility to be the pastoral presence at her funeral and provide the eulogy. Now, now this is sacred work, and it's a reason that I feel called to ministry. I think it's sacred work when we step into grieving spaces. But as I was walking through this with my family, I had a sudden realization that I, I wasn't prepared for. Something hit me, and it jarred me, and it left me incredibly unsettled. See, my family lives a really long time. We're very lucky to be blessed with long and, and healthy lives. I've got two grandparents who are still living. I've got all of my aunts and uncles, a whole slew of cousins. The, the list goes on. And as I was preparing for my grandmother's funeral, I realized that I would be doing that a lot. I would be preparing for the funerals of my loved ones, writing eulogies for those so close to my heart. Because as one of the pastors in my family, my mom's side has more pastors, but as one of the pastors in my family, I know that there will be seasons when people pass away and, and eyes will look to me to lead through that valley of the shadow of death. And I began to grieve in a way that I wasn't prepared for. I, I began to grieve almost like I was already losing them, even though I knew they were perfectly healthy, even though I, I could reach out by a phone call or, or even drive to see so many of my family members. I began to grieve in a way that was visceral and real, and I didn't know what to do with it. And so I, I was talking to my therapist about this. And I was explaining this sensation I was feeling, this grief that I was feeling for something that hadn't even happened yet. And he said, Scott, what you're experiencing is what we call anticipatory grief. Anticipatory grief. Maybe you felt this before in your life too. It's when we can anticipate, we, we acknowledge that something is coming, something dark, a, a loss is on the horizon. We know it's going to come and so we begin to grieve as though it's already here. We prepare our hearts and our souls to grieve and it can feel like we're already grieving their loss when they're still with us. Anticipatory grief. I think that's what the disciples are feeling as Jesus is telling them, explaining to them that soon I will leave you. Like, I will leave you, leave you. You won't be able to reach me. I will be gone. And though I will return, even though you'll make it through that, you're going to go through a season of grief. 
mourning and grief like you have never experienced. Even just three days is going to feel like forever. And the disciples are beginning to experience that, that tightness in their chest and that, and, that, and that anxiety and that stress and that fear and that grief that we experience when we lose someone we love, but they haven't even lost them yet. They're experiencing anticipatory grief. I read a phenomenal article this past week that I encourage you to find as well. It's from the Harvard Business Review, the Harvard Business Review, and it was an interview with a man named David Kessler. And if you don't already have something nearby, go, go, stop for a second and go get a, a pad and a pencil or, or pull out your phone to take some notes because he said some really profound things in this article, gave us some steps that we can take to help process anticipatory grief that I want to read for us now because I think they are so helpful and I wanted to share them as far as I could. This is from the Harvard Business Review by David Kessler. And here's what he has to say. Unhealthy anticipatory grief is really anxiety. And that's the feeling that we're talking about. He's talking to the interviewer. Our mind begins to show us images. My parents getting sick. We see the worst scenarios. Anybody else playing the worst case scenario game right now? That's our minds being protective, he says. Our goal is not to ignore those images or to try to make them go away. We can't avoid or ignore our grief. Your mind won't let you do that, and it can be painful to try and force it. He says the goal is, and this is the first suggestion he makes, write this down, find balance in the things you're thinking. Find balance in the things you're thinking. If you feel the worst image taking shape, make yourself think of the best image. We all get a little sick and the world continues. Not everyone I love dies. Maybe no one does because we're all taking the right steps. Neither scenario should be ignored, but neither should dominate either. Anticipatory grief, he says, is the mind going to the future and imagining the worst. To calm yourself, he says this, number two, you want to come into the present. Write that down, come into the present. This will be familiar advice to anyone who has meditated or practiced mindfulness, but people are always surprised at how prosaic this can be. He says, you can name five things in the room. He says, there's a computer, a chair, a picture of the dog, an old rug, and a coffee mug. Right now, I'd say there's pews and a microphone and the text in the back, hey, Chris, and there's Tom Hudspeth, and there's the altar. There's five things. It's just that simple. Breathe. Realize that in the present moment, nothing you've anticipated has happened. In this moment, you are okay. You have food. You're not sick. Use your senses and think about what they feel. The desk is hard. The blanket is soft. I can feel the breath coming into my nose. This really will work to dampen some of that pain. Next, he says, you can also think about how to, write this down, let go of what you can't control. Now, this is where I got hit the hardest. Let go of what you can't control. If you're a control freak or you're sitting next to one right now, it's time to confess. Point to them and say, this is you. Are you listening? Did you write that down? Let go of what you can't control. What your neighbor is doing is out of your control. Say amen, somebody. What is in your control what is in your control is staying six feet away from them and washing your hands. Focus on that. And finally, he says, it's a good time to write this last one down. Stock up on compassion. 
everyone will have different levels of fear and grief and it manifests in different ways. A coworker got very snippy with me the other day and I thought, that's not like this person. That's how they're dealing with this. I'm seeing their fear and anxiety. So be patient and think about who someone usually is and not who they seem to be in this moment. That was from David Kessler in the Harvard Business Review. I encourage you to find that article. There's a lot more to it, and it's really helpful, and I think we'll even post a link to it on our church's Facebook page after worship today. So as Christians, I believe that we're called to step into our grief. I think just like David Kessler has, has taught us, we can engage with our grief in a way that allows us to process it and to move forward. But here's the thing. We're not left in our grief. We're not abandoned in the pain of this world. No, Jesus offers us real hope, tangible hope. He offers it to us today and he offers it to the disciples at the end of John 16. Let's hear what he has to say. Jesus says, I've said all these things, all this stuff about me and the Father and the Holy Spirit, all this stuff about leaving and coming back, all this stuff about grief turning into joy. I've said all these things so that you will have peace in me. In the world, you have distress, but be encouraged. I have conquered the world. Now, Jesus says a couple of really important things that we've got to hear this morning. Number one, Jesus reminds us that we live in the real world. As Christians, we are not miraculously saved from a life of pain. We live in a world that's broken and a world that can break us or feels like it can break us at times. Now, I want to say something clearly, and I hope that you're listening. God does not use acts of evil to bring about good. That's not part of God's toolkit. God can redeem anything evil, but God does not use evil. God is not using a virus to bring about God's will in the world. The virus is a product of a broken world. It's a consequence of living in a world that is imperfect. And God can work within it. God can redeem it. But it is not God's will for this virus to be causing so much pain and even death. But Jesus goes a step further when he says that we will have distress in this world. When, when we live in this world, we live a real life that has real pain. That word he uses for distress. If we go back and look at the original word in the original Greek, because this was written in Greek at first, the word used there is this word thalipsis, thalipsis. It means to be distressed or to, or to have trouble, but even more precisely, it means to be pressured in and constricted in a way that is painful. Does anybody feel pressured or constricted these last two weeks? Or maybe you've been feeling pressured or constricted for a long time. Jesus says that in this world, this world will pressure us and constrict us in ways that we think might break us. But, he says, but be encouraged. Be encouraged. Because I have overcome, I have conquered the world and its brokenness, says Jesus. I want to say this to close as we come to a close together. As I said at the beginning, a life with Jesus does not remove us from grief. But instead, Jesus grants us the power to sit with God, we're never alone, to sit with God in our grief and find redemption and resurrection on the other side. My friends, we need to grieve and grieve well. 
But we have also got to be a people walking footstep in footstep with Jesus, following after his lead, looking for those signs, those points of light of redemption and resurrection. We have to be willing to see the hope that exists right now in this moment. Have you seen the choirs who are putting on performances by Zoom call and putting those out for the world to see? Have you seen the theaters and the different events that are broadcasting their, their, their music and their productions for families for free during this time? Have you seen the businesses making hard decisions and taking pay cuts to try to retain as many employees as possible? Do you see the hope and the redemption and the resurrection that's already beginning. God is always at work. So I leave us with two thoughts. As Christians, as Jesus followers, let us grieve well, but let us always be encouraged because in Jesus, we find hope and we find peace. Amen.